Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we get to discuss the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord according to St. Luke chapter 9. If you would like to hear all the readings for the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped previous to this. So this is a heavy text. There's a lot happening, and Vicar has the pleasure of preaching on this text. And so with that, Vicar, what are you going to preach about? Uh, I already have to make up my mind, huh? Um, so with this, there's a lot going on in this text, and uh, we actually get to um, kind of fast forward a little bit in the Gospel of Luke from our previous Gospel reading in the lectionary, and this is where the plot really starts to thicken in Jesus' ministry and when looking at his work that is ultimately pointing him to Jerusalem. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's a heavy focus on Jesus' uh, ultimate goal being the cross, uh, and that really comes out here in this text, and that's going to come out in the, the chapters that follow this text as well. And in this, we have uh, a lot of stuff, but there's a, there's a command near the end of the text. There's an imperative. Jesus telling us to—well, uh, God, speaking of Jesus, telling us to do something. Uh, and so that's, that's probably where I'm going to lean as I think about writing my sermon for this one. So you mean if God tells us to do something, we should do something? That's usually a wise choice, yes. I, I absolutely <laughs> agree with that. Well, let's paint the picture. And so uh, now about eight days after these sayings, and this is uh, Jesus preaching and teaching, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and they went up a mountain. I always think it's interesting. This mountain is not named. Mm -hmm. So just throwing that out there. And while they were praying— the appearance of Jesus' face was altered, and his clothing, clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So right there, James, John, Peter, Jesus are praying. I have no idea what this looks like, and I don't say this to be funny. You know, is it individual prayer? Is it Jesus leading them? I really don't know. I like the idea that Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, and John, we got to go pray. Let's go. And this is not a foreign thing. And then go. And I think Jesus is praying out loud. I think he's leading the prayer. And I say that because we hear uh, in verse 32, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Because they weren't praying, because they weren't active in this situation, I think they were kind of dozing, kind of like on Sunday when you look out and you see people with their eyes closed intently listening to the mm -hmm. sermon. Of course, of course. Exactly. Concentrating. Um, 
which I think is interesting because if they were dozing or they were heavy with sleep, they see this dazzling light, the, the, the transfiguration. I think it's such a big event that they couldn't sleep through it. And I mean that in a good way. I want to piggyback on that. And mm. I, I kind of, again, I don't, I don't think we know, but I, oh, I yeah. think this might be at nighttime. Um, really? Just because I'm, I'm picturing, I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. usually when I get sleepy, <laughs> but um, also then it, it might kind of uh, show the, the gravity of this dazzling white that's described. I'd want to look at the other, uh, the, the synoptic gospels and see yeah. if they have any indication on what time of day it was, but. Anyways, just my thought. No, that would be interesting. And so he changes. He's glowing, he's dazzling, and two people show up with him, Moses and Elijah. I think this is a really neat thing. And uh, again, because you're preaching, I'm going to turn to you first. What is it that Moses and Elijah, you have all the Old Testament prophets, saints. Why these two guys? So starting with Moses, uh, we have Moses as the the prophet uh, who was uh, through God given given the law, and he shared the law with the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, it makes you probably think of perhaps the first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, where verse seventeen actually says, "For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth." came through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this idea that Moses was the Old Testament law giver yeah. um, coming down from Sinai after meeting with God gives the law. All right, so that's a big deal. Yeah. And we see in Moses's um, ministry, if you want to call it that, his work as a prophet of God, uh, he has some failures. Uh, and because of that, we know Moses's life ends, um, I don't know if abruptly is the right word, but he doesn't get to go into the promised land because of these failures right. as uh, the leader of the people of Israel. All right, so we have a great leader of God's people, but a leader who is flawed. Yes. Now, we can contrast that to Jesus, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, and we have a, a New Testament prophet uh, who, who comes to not give the law, uh, but fulfill the law. So there's the connection there between Moses and Jesus. Um, and I would lump in uh, Elijah with kind of the Old Testament prophets as a whole, as someone who was, um, yes, speaking, but also acting on God's behalf. Uh, you think of that the great uh, showdown with mm. the the worshipers of Baal, oh, yeah. Mar Carmel or Carmel, <laughs> however you want to say that, however American you are, um, where we see Elijah actually, through the work of God, performing mm. things in God's name. Um, so those are kind of the, the Old Testament law-giving prophet and, and the works of the prophet represented there in Moses and Elijah. So I, I really like that because, again, I see... Uh, Echoing that, you got the law and the prophets. You got the Old Testament literally right there in Moses and Elijah. And they come and I, I always think it's interesting. They come and speak of Jesus' departure, his death. His exodus. His ex. There you go. And, and what I love about that is why do they need to talk to him about it? What are they saying? And, and we don't know. I like the idea that it is, as you pointed out, both in Moses and both in Elijah, uh, that Jesus is the fulfillment. And this is done for us. This is done for Peter, James, and John, and for them to make those connections. I don't know how well they made the connection 
during this actual event. But you have the Old Testament showing up and talking to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself says, the the Moses, Moses and the prophets attest to me. They point to me. And so right there on the Mount of Transfiguration, as Jesus is dazzling white, there is the fulfillment of the law. There is the fulfillment of the prophets. And this goes into what he's going to do. And I'm curious what Peter, James, and John heard. Did they hear a sermon from uh, Moses and Elijah? Uh, All the things that I testified is here. Uh, Moses, I went up to Mount Sinai and I received the word of God here. Uh, I I like that. Just It really ties this up and showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that happens in the Old Testament. And using that word fulfillment, Mm -hmm. uh, I like kind of the English translation here in the ESV, all that that he, Jesus, was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay, so there we have truly the the culmination of of the person and work of God coming through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and as we know, his resurrection. But there is the fulfillment of the law that's going to take place. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting to think about what exactly was said. Yeah. Was it a was it an issue of timeline? Because uh, we hear Jesus say a few times that his time is not well, yet yeah. come. Um, were there certain things that had to be done before uh, his, his ultimate fulfillment on the cross? Interesting to think about. It is. I, again, what, what does Moses and Elijah have to say to Jesus, to say to God? And again, this is all for the benefit of, first of all, Peter, James, and John, and then for us. Can we pause on that phrase, his departure, yeah. um, his exodus? Because uh, here again, the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament should just be really loud and clear for us. Uh, Obviously, we have the event of the Exodus, as we call it in the Old Testament, being uh, really the the biggest example in the Old Testament of God, the biggest saving act Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Um, You know, sometimes we talk about that in terms of the people of Israel being baptized. They have been redeemed by God, chosen as His people. But that's the biggest uh, saving, redemptive act that takes place in the Old Testament. And now we have Jesus uh, going through his own departure, his own exodus, which is going to be the biggest New Testament and Old Testament Mm -hmm. uh, saving act, uh, a redemptive act for God's people that's ever going to take place. And so the connection there between Old and New Testament, uh, Moses, Elijah, prophet, fulfillment, all of these things can be swirling around here. And... Really, you can't emphasize that enough, the the Old Testament salvation act of the Exodus. Because even in the prophets uh, and throughout the Old Testament, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after this event, it is stated, God, who took us out of Egypt, Mm -hmm. even though it's well in their past, that is their identifying mark of who God is and their relationship with him. And I like how you tied in both the Old Testament salvation mark and then Christ doing the full salvation or the fulfillment, putting them together. We have the exodus from sin and death. We have the exodus of the bondage to slavery of sin and death. And it is the full fulfillment of what Jesus does. And uh, I, I really, and again, like I said, 
you really can't emphasize that enough. And we should speak like we should speak of this in the manner that the Old Testament prophets did. Remember the God who saved us, who brought us out of Egypt. Remember the Lord Jesus who brought us out of death. And that's, uh, I mean, when you look at the Ten Commandments, um, the ten words, uh, as they can be called, that's the first one. Mm-hmm. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out yes. of Egypt. So <laughs> it, it wasn't a small thing. No. Uh, it was something that that carried through the, the history of God's people. Well, so after Mo- Moses and Elijah show up and talk to Jesus, Peter feels left out, and he needs to talk. And so, verse 32, um, they, they woke and they saw the two men. And as the men were parting from them, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I think it's interesting. Why does Peter want to make tents? And then, you know, that last statement, he doesn't know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we w- pushed record, Vicar had an interesting statement that the whole idea that they were sleepy, they were heavy with sleep. So I, I don't know if they went to sleep or if they're dozing, whatever. They weren't fully active there, conscious, however you want to say it. And I, I like what you said. You know, when you wake up from a sleep or you wake up from, you know, um, a deep thought or whatever, and you're just trying to catch up to the situation, and that's when you say things that you really don't know what you're saying. <laughs> but you're saying stuff. Yeah. Does Peter do that? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, one reason I like to think of it that way is be, uh, because there, there are numerous times in the New Testament where we can kind of pick on Peter. <laughs> we can kind of yeah. make fun of his uh, naivete right. or what have you. And I don't know if this really falls into that category. It seems like uh, there's there's some good intention mm-hmm. here. I've definitely heard it taken the other way where it's, it's Peter saying, oh, this is so awesome. Let's just hang out here yeah. forever and never leave. Mm-hmm. And that might be so. Um, but it seems like there there might be a sense of um, this is something special. I'm not sure what's taking place, but this is cool. Let's enjoy this. <laughs> no, I, I think there's a lot to that. And I'm not willing to throw Peter under the bus on this on this one. Um, he does other things that are a lot more <laughs> uh, low-hanging fruit. Because one of the things, that, that last statement, he doesn't know what he's saying. I don't think he knows how to deal with this. This is overwhelming. Uh, I, I think it's overwhelming his sense of sight. I mean, he's seen dead people. He's seen his Lord, his teacher, transfigured before him. You know, there's all this happening, and he can't process. This does not compute. And I really think he just falls back on polite things. Uh, I I think he's a a good Jew, and he goes into hospitality mode. We have guests. We got to put up our guests. I'll make tents. And, And I don't think he's stumbling over his words he just really actually doesn't know what to do. And I, I like that. And I, and it's not selfish. It's not um, meaningless. It's really, I'm trying, to, something really big is happening. 
and I need to do something. Yeah, and it's hard to put it into words. It's hard to know yeah. what to do or what to say. Uh, obviously, unlike anything he's ever experienced right, yeah. before. Uh, and in the midst of his uh, saying things that he doesn't know what he's saying, he gets cut off by God. Yeah, it just gets worse. <laughs> not only does he not know how to deal with this, it gets worse. Because then we hear God. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And again, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I think it's interesting. The cloud moves in on them, but it says, as they entered the cloud. So I have a question for you on that phrase, um, that that the, the cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they were afraid? I think it was really big and that it was just consuming. I think it was a... And so I like the idea that this is the middle of the day, afternoon. I think it's really sunny, which makes it a bigger deal that Jesus is shiny and they are dazzling white and they recognize it. And then this cloud comes out of nowhere. It just happens. I think of the tent of meeting, the cloud, the pillar of cloud that uh, led the people of Israel. It just happens. They didn't see it coming and like, oh, hey, there's a cloud. It just happened. And again, going back to that overwhelming uh, situation. And that's my guess. I don't have anything to back that up. Here's what I was fishing for. Okay. okay? In the Old Testament, especially in the book of Exodus, um, uh, what does a cloud usually represent or who, who comes in a cloud? Maybe I should ask it that God. way. We have the presence of God. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like to think of Peter. He's kind of disoriented. Oh, he doesn't yeah. know what he's saying. Crazy things are happening and this cloud comes and it's like, uh-oh. I stepped in it. I've heard about this. Yeah. This means God is here. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my suggestion on that one. That, oh, that, I like the, that. the yeah. cloud in the Old Testament, uh, especially in Exodus, is this I mean that's that's where the manifestation of God is. Mm -hmm. Um and here's here's that happening again because we have God speaking <laughs> yeah. in the midst of this cloud. Well, yeah, and and he, this God gives another sermon. Uh, he gave a sermon during uh, Jesus' baptism, and again, he makes the statement, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And I'm really curious, Peter, James, and John, hearing this again, and Jesus himself has said, listen to me, but to hear this voice of God. And I'm pretty sure not only did they hear it, but they felt it. Listen to him do what? Mm -hmm. And I, I, just the idea of, is he going to give us more teachings? And Because we're going to look at it and, of course, go back or go to his exodus, his death. Where are Peter, James, and John in the listening aspect to this? And I, I liked how you kind of brought us into the introduction to this text. Uh, listen to him in being disciples, following him. Uh, right. The, the bigness of that statement is really just huge. Right. And before our text uh, in the preceding verses here, because um, it starts off now about eight days after these sayings. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are these sayings? Yeah. Well, the text, uh, the verses leading into this is uh, we have uh, a couple big things happening in verses 21 through 22 of Luke 9. Luke chapter 9, we have Jesus predicting his death. Mm -hmm. And then right after that 
is the great section that includes, you know, take up your cross and follow me, which is all about what it means to actually follow Jesus and be his disciples. Um, so now, now we can think of this, listen to him, hmm. uh, maybe kind of looking backward to what Jesus has already just said. And now we can approach what he's going to say in the time between the transfiguration and the time he goes to the cross, and now it's it's even uh, it's even more imperative that you listen to him because mm-hmm. he's going to tell you again who he is and what he's there to do. Oh, absolutely! And I really like this whole text because not only is it the revealing of who Jesus is, the Peter, James, and John they see his glory and the men who are with him. I think that's huge. That That's a heavenly statement. That's a, a different worldly statement. That's not just here. That's the bigness. But it also helps us to realize and remember that this is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And the next Sunday that we meet will be Lent. And we get to actually carry this light of Christ into Lent because we turn in on ourselves in the sense that we really take account of our sins. We go back to the bondage of our sin, remembering who and what we are as sinners in need of salvation. We're not left there, but we recognize, and we really kind of sit and dwell with that. It's a great habit. It's a great exercise to remember where we've come from. And so the season of Lent is all about repentance, but it's also reminding us how far we've fallen from God. Because when we start realizing that, we realize how far he has brought us out or up. And and I think with that, we hear in verse 36, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. We only have hope in Jesus. The law is gone. The prophets are gone. Only Jesus stands. And then this is interesting. And Vicar and I had a, a... a discussion about this, this last statement. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And I really think that's neat because according to the Gospel of St. Matthew and Mark, Jesus tells them, don't say anything. And I, I don't know if it's because his time is getting close and it's, we need to make sure that this is the timeline, this is the way it happens, it doesn't happen earlier, or you're going to mess this up don't tell anybody. It will become clear after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting. But again, it helps us to remember the hugeness of this. And that hugeness is still there for us today. The bigness of God going to the cross, the exodus that we experience from sin and death is ours. And it will not be fulfilled until the resurrection. And so we're still going through it. Which is neat, because we know the end. We know the the, the promised land awaits us, but we got to take up our crosses and follow Jesus through this, knowing it is already fulfilled. So I, I think Transfiguration Sunday is amazing, but it's really, really big. And there's a lot to that, uh, as you were kind of talking and, and making the connection between here, the end of the season of Epiphany, and moving into Lent. Um, the, I, I'm going to harp on the listening to oh, Jesus yeah, part, um, because in this, we get to listen during the season of Lent uh, in, in a contemplative mood that 
it is our sins that put Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. That is why he had to come to die for us. But we also get to listen to him and hear all the all the things that he did for us. Uh, it wasn't because he was forced to come and and live and die for us, but it was out of love that he was sent and that he came and endured all these things. And in that way, we have something very good to listen to, the good news that is the love of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And the joy that we actually get to go through Lent with that, holding on to that realizing life is ours as we listen to all the great and wondrous deeds of Christ our Lord. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast platform. This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.